Life is hard when you don't know who you are. It's harder when you don't know what you are. My love carries a death sentence. I was lost for years, searching while hiding, only to find that I belong to a world hidden from humans. I won't hide anymore. I will live the life I choose. This is episode 48 of Fatalist, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror, and that is going to be the name of the game tonight. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing? Hey, Dave. What's going on? Ah, uh, well... Um, 48, man. Yeah, Holy cow. Getting, like, it just, that, that seems like quite a lot. Yeah, getting close to our Diamond Jubilee. Is it 50 Diamond? I don't even know. Is, I, that's what I was about to... I think it is, right? <laughs> okay. I, yeah. What's Silver. Is that twenty five? I should know all that stuff, but you should know. Yeah, you've, you've, yeah, you're the one. How long have you been married, by the way? Uh, thirty three. Yeah, thirty three. Okay, years. so so you so you did something at twenty five years, but you just can't remember. Of course, what. of course, I got married at fifteen. So no, fifty's gold, right? Ah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but uh, actually, I said uh, you know, join this evening. Uh, it is two o'clock in the afternoon. On, I guess, what, would it be considered the middle of Yom Kippur? Uh, I believe we, we are, yeah, kind of smack dab in the middle. It's, it started on uh, uh, yesterday at sundown and will end today at sundown. Okay. That's when they get to break the fast because um, my wife's Jewish, and, and, but she doesn't fast. She doesn't do any of that stuff. But the, the people who do, um, they're not supposed to eat from sundown you know, on Friday till sundown Saturday, and then they have break the fast. So we're going to my mother-in-law's tonight to break the fast. Yeah, well, I was mentioning to you uh, in my Yom Kippur story, and, and uh, uh, you know, I was also mentioning to you that I was going to say, uh, you don't remember, but uh, the Orioles' first World Series appearance, you know what year that was? Uh, I believe that was 1966. Okay. and I, I don't remember because I wasn't born that's, yet. That's Okay. <laughs> but but what I do remember, the, the Orioles were playing the Dodgers, and that was at a time, and, and sorry for the non-sports fans, this won't be long, but there is a point here. Uh, you know, that was at a time when, you know, the National League winner, there was no divisional play, there were no playoffs. Whoever won the National League played whoever won the American League in the World Series, that was it. And the Dodgers' best pitcher and arguably the best pitcher in baseball at that time period, Sandy Koufax, Sandy Koufax w- right. was Jewish. So even I knew that one. Right. And game one uh, of the World okay, Series go with this. Right, was slated to yeah. be played on Yom Kippur. And, you know, Sandy Koufax, you know, went to his management and, and said, look, I'd really rather not pitch on this day. You know, if you're going to force me to, I, I will. But, you know, but, but you know, they, they backed him 100%. You know, he didn't start game one. And, and the thing that's so important about that is in a seven-game series, whoever start, started game one back then ended up pitching games one, four, and seven. It's, that doesn't happen so much nowadays. But, yeah, you know, that series didn't even go seven games. No, yeah, well, right. They swept them in four. But I guess yeah. it, it, it hit me at the time about. <laughs> so, in retrospect, it really didn't, wasn't a big, big Yeah, I understand. I mean, it was that. a big deal, like, like socially and religiously, but as far as like for the Dodgers, like, you know. Yeah, but it really impressed me, you know, somebody really standing up for what they believed in. And I mean, look, you know, I was a kid then. So, I was, of course, happy that he decided to do that. But, but, you know, I mean, it's something, to be honest, that, that I, you know, I think about from time to time. And, you know, it's really stuck with me. So, uh, well, I believe uh, Hank Greenberg did the same thing, right? The, I think the Tigers were in the World Series and, and uh, he didn't play on Yom Kippur. Oh, 
I, I, it was something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there was a, a similar thing with uh, Hank Greenberg. Yeah, that was good. You probably saw the same documentary I did. That uh, yeah, the Ken Burns one, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was that was that was a brilliant. That was a great documentary. All right. So anyway, so back to uh, genre material. Uh, yeah, I've been go, you know working my way through my Revolution rewatch, and I'm telling you, you know, I, I thought the show was really good the first time, but I guess like a lot of shows, you just see so much the second time around. So. Yeah, I agree. I was, I, I, I mean, I, I liked, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't like Revolution, but was it like, like my favorite show? No, but, um, but I, I, you're right. As I think about the show more, I'm like, you know, watching it again and watching it all, all together also, I think will probably give me a greater appreciation for it because really that, that big hiatus they took was like a killer, you know, like you didn't know what was going on. Like when we came back, I, forgotten so much of what had gone on in the first half of the season. Right, but I guess what I really found interesting now going back and, and you know, making notes in preparation for, you know, the uh, Revolution podcast I'm going to do, it, it the season really broke down in halves that, that and too bad we didn't know this back when we did our, our yeah, episode right. on questing, because the first half of the season, episodes one to ten, was really about the quest to rescue Danny. And Right, that didn't turn out so well. Yeah, spoiler alert, he, he dies in episode 11. But but it really was, you know, and it was I mean, it had all the qualities of the, you know, the 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 journey that, you know, that we talked about when we did that episode. Mm-hmm. So and then a yeah, really good antihero there, like a b- bunch of antiheroes, because like the uh, the captain, the uh, young Carlo Esposito, Esposito yeah. I remember his character's name, but, you know, just like a, a great baddie there and, uh, you know, good heroes. and Well, you know, the interesting thing is that, that Rachel Matheson, who's uh, played by Elizabeth Mitchell, uh, you know, now this second time around, she's really a bad person, I, I think. I mean, she, yeah, she's well, I, very self-centered. Yeah. I, I agree. And um, I remember kind of, I actually did come to that conclusion the first time I was watching it. I can't remember where it was, but you know, you just like all of a sudden, like you know what? I, I'm really not so sure I like her very much, you know. Yeah. And it's hard because you know it's Elizabeth Mitchell, you know, and everything, and and she she doesn't look like a bad person, you know. She's you know, uh, but uh, you know, but was a bad person look like right? Yeah. Just because you're you know beautiful and blonde hair and blue eyes does not mean you're you're a good person. Right. And uh, but you know, seeing her in her other roles, especially in Lost, you know, we're used to kind of backing her and being behind her and all of a sudden you're like yeah like you said you're just like man she's she's kind of like nasty right but and the other thing though that i really like about the show is that you know it comes down to you know at a very surf uh surface level whether to turn the lights on or keep them off and you know we fall into that trap of thinking well you know of course it's a good thing to turn the lights on and you see different characters falling on different sides of that equation and at, at this point all she's bent on is revenge. So, and that's the thing about it. She is hardcore. Yeah. You know, like she's very goal oriented. And her problem is she doesn't really see far. She doesn't, she's not far sight, right? She just sees what's right in front of her. Right. Um, she deals with the problem at hand, doesn't really think about the long term consequences, which is really basically how we got in the situation in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this came about because she wanted her son to live. When he was a baby, right? Yeah. And then this, that led to just basically everything else. Yep. So, um, Now, the other yeah. thing I think is cool is how it's set up against Falling Skies. And, and when I say set up against it, in other words, you know, the two shows are airing more or less concurrently. You know, dystopic future, 
you know, obviously one is the result of aliens coming to Earth and, and the other is the, you know, the science gone amok. But I really like the, you know, the, the way the two shows handle it. I mean, I've heard people criticize revolution because it's not gritty enough. It's not dirty enough. Yeah. And I mean, well, you know, you got to admit there's something to that, you know, like the clothes really don't get, but, but, you know, like, I think you said this before, I mean, it's, it's TV for crying out loud, you know, like, like if you want, if the worst you can do is say, well, I'm just really annoyed that their clothes are too clean at the end of the show. Well then, okay, maybe you should just hang back and enjoy the show and, and, and not worry about such minor details, you know? Yep. Yep. So, uh, now what have you been watching? I just finished season four of Warehouse 13, which is the last season so far that that they that they've had. Oh, okay, um, so you're caught up. I am all caught up. Yep, and uh, thank goodness that because they're going to have a like six episode season five. Like I think the show got canceled, and then there must have been some kind of backlash, and so they said, okay, we'll give you six more episodes. So I think it's just enough to wind up the the last because it ended they they always end on a big 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 cliffhanger and so there was another big one because clearly they weren't expecting to be canceled uh had big cliffhanger at the end and so i guess they're giving giving them enough shows to resolve that um and probably for uh micah and pete to ultimately get together i think oh maybe oh they still haven't no oh wow No, yeah, they, uh, they they come close, but yeah, they're just like always. They, they they realize that they have this kind of mutual attraction, but they always kind of keep it like as a on a friends basis. So, all right, um, there was one time, one episode they did wake up naked in bed together, but they they couldn't remember. It was like the hangover. They 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 woke up, they couldn't remember anything that happened, why they got there. So then the whole show becomes like like the hangover. You know, them trying to figure out why were we naked in bed together, and you know. So okay, eighteen hours earlier. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, so yeah, um, we talked about what we were going to do next. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about Evil Dead Two tonight. But uh, if we're still on board on Monday, that would be the sixteenth of September. Sleepy Hollow is going to debut, and we had talked about doing a review of that, a pilot preview, if you will. So, if that still still sounds good to you. Yeah, it's this Monday, right? Yeah, this Monday. I I stopped paying attention there for a second, sorry. (laughs) And yeah, so that's one of the earlier premieres. Uh, Most of the shows are premiering the week after that or even later. So, you know, it it looks good. I mean, the the trailers have looked pretty good and, you know, the whole modern retelling of the Washington Irving story. So we'll see. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm a little just... I have had my qualms because I, I sometimes have qualms about shows that debut like like super early or super late because it's almost like what are you what are you trying to hide you know like, <laughs> you know why why are you doing that yeah they figured we'll get out of the gate early and everything but uh, no I don't know yeah it, it looks it looks like it'll be good I'm, I'm looking forward to it All right, good now the other thing I just happened to notice as I was preparing for this show. And, you know, maybe we'll look into it more later. But uh, Ender's Game, which is supposed to hit theaters, I believe, November 1st. And yeah, I, I know it's November. I'm not sure. And apparently are. Orson Scott Card is involved in multiple controversies, I guess, political controversies. So uh, uh, we'll have to look into that a little bit and see if it's a story that I can't believe I'm going to use this uh, phrase here, but see if it's a story that has legs. Oh, have you not read Ender's Game? 
Oh no, no, I've read Ender's Game. I'm talking oh, about okay. the uh, the the. Uh, apparently, I, I did read one thing that he apparently made some negative comments about same-sex marriage. Apparently, he's. Oh, he, I, th- I think he vehemently is opposed. Very, very conservative, and um, the, you know, even the. Uh, did you read the rest of the the Ender series? Well, I read Speaker for the Dead. I didn't yeah. read the third one. So I mean, it gets like really like religious and stuff. Uh, I remember uh, the the rest of the series and everything. You know, Ender's Game. I've I've been the, you know the, I actually remember like back in '04, I think you know going on IMDb and seeing that there was they were in production on a movie or or pre production on Ender's Game, and then you know it just. You know, it just didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen, and now finally, uh, it's here, and it looks pretty good. My you know, both my uh, sons both read Ender's Game this past summer, and so uh, they're already making plans with all their friends to uh, to go to premiere night. I think they're going to try and talk me into going to a premiere to it. So, oh, all right, we'll have to see. All right, that sounds good. All right, well, why don't I do a little bit of news? All right, so Roland Emmerich, best known for Independence Day and its forthcoming sequel, and you know I'm not. What? Yeah, I'm not. Really? Yeah, I'm not a big Will Smith uh, fan, and I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't that much into Independence Day. It was okay. Ah, uh, that movie sucked. Okay, well, but Will Smith. I like Will Smith though. It's not because of Will Smith. That's just a crap movie. All right. Well, anyway. He's also known to genre fans as the writer-director of the 1994 release film Stargate. So Emmerich's revealed that he originally planned a trilogy for that film starring Kurt Russell, James Spader, and Jay Davidson. And though the second and third films never materialized, the film did spawn several highly popular television series. Stargate SG-1 starring Amanda Tapping, Richard Dean Anderson, and Michael Shanks lasted 10 seasons and 214 episodes, uh, in addition to two feature films that were produced. Stargate Atlantis produced five seasons and 100 episodes, and Stargate Universe, two seasons and 40 episodes. So now, the original film generated just under $200 million worldwide with a $55 million budget, so that's a pretty good profit. Uh, The two films, Continuum and Arc of Truth, earned small profits, but profits nonetheless, And in an interview with Digital Spy, Emmerich mentioned that he's planning to reboot the feature film Stargate. He says, we went to MGM, who has the rights, and proposed them uh, to do a sequel, but as a reboot, and reboot it as a movie, and then do three parts. Pretty soon we'll have to look for a writer and begin. And because the original actors look very different, he'd prefer a complete reboot rather than do a sequel, I guess, with... Uh, right, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, Kurt Russell and James Spader are certainly uh, getting up in years, but uh, that would be pretty cool. I, I guess the only concern I have is if the first Stargate movie uh, led to 214 episodes of Stargate SG-1 and they do three, man, now we're getting into Doctor Who territory at 600 episodes. Yeah. So... All right. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's wishful thinking. All right. <laughs> now, here's one that, you you know, is probably more, I guess, leaning towards your experience because I'm still relatively inexperienced in this area, believe it or not. Uh, Warner Brothers Entertainment and J.K. Rowling are developing a new series of films inspired by Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter's Hogwarts textbook, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and the adventures of the book's fictitious author, Newt Scamander. Okay, so, hmm. so now, you know, I've seen only the first Harry Potter film. I haven't read any of the books, although, you know, I keep 
uh, DVRing them, and then I need the space. So I really do want to see the rest of them. Yeah, well, they're uh, the first two not so good. Yeah, the Chris Columbus ones I can do without. Now, Third one is my favorite. Um, and it, all the rest are, are are really really excellent movies. You know, um, they they got away from because you know Christopher Columbus was just basically taking the book and making it into a movie and not really deviating much. Um, the other directors realized that, especially when you get to the really long books, if you go that way, it's going to be like a really long movie. So, you know, they, the, the, the third one probably is the one that deviates from the book the most, but it's also, like I said, uh, a lot of people think it's their favorite one. Okay. So. Now, th- I didn't know this, that Rowling's going to make her screenwriting debut with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Warner Brothers announced. And it's intended to be the first in a series of films. Now, uh, the writer cautioned that the new series was not intended to be a Harry Potter sequel, and the laws and customs of the Hidden Magical Society will be familiar to anyone who has read the Harry Potter books or seen the films. But Newt's story will start in New York 70 years before Harry gets underway. Uh, hmm, now, that's interesting. Although it will be set in the worldwide community of witches and wizards, where I was so happy to be for 17 years, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is neither a prequel nor a sequel to the Harry Potter series, but an extension of the wizarding world. Okay. Yeah, but you just you just know like some of that stuff's going to sneak in, you know. Uh, the studio said Fantastic Beasts would be developed across the studio's digital consumer products and gaming units, including links to Pottermore.com, Rowling's <laughs> digital online experience built around the Potter's book. I'm shocked. You mean they're going to try to make this a big multimedia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I just did. She like look around and say, "Yeah, you know, I just, I just don't feel like I'm wealthy enough." Okay. Well, here, I, that, you know what? You didn't know where I was going next, but that was there couldn't have been a more perfect segue. So. The eight, nice. the eight Harry Potter movies, which began in 2001 and concluded in 2011, grossed more than $7 billion worldwide for Warner Brothers, making it the highest grossing film franchise of all time. And while she didn't get all $7 billion, I, I think she probably is uh, – let's, let's put it this way. She can buy a new purse for herself if she wants. Yeah. Well, I mean, just you know, the book sales alone, she could you know probably – by a couple countries <laughs> good good for her though yeah you know like and yeah obviously pretty much anything she puts her name to is is gonna sell uh like i started reading the 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 book i can't remember what it was even called now i don't know i just i just couldn't you know i don't know maybe it's just because it wasn't like i was expecting harry potter obviously because i knew it was like an adult mystery type thing but uh i just really couldn't get into it you know, not like certainly not like a Harry Potter. So I, I you know, I got a couple of chapters in. I was just like, I'm done. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we jump on to Evil Dead Two? And well, before we do, because okay. I just want to say one thing, because this I have a confession to make. I'm going to make this to publicly uh, to all the world when I say that I think finally I've come over to Dave's side in saying that Amanda Tapping is the first lady of sci-fi. All right. You heard me say. It. All right. Any particular reason or just. Uh, there's there's really two reasons uh, besides the fact of of her showing up on Supernatural, which really that was the first hint that you know I was that you had the the, the stronger case here, um, but uh, like her work as a director, she directed the, you know the episode of Continuum. Uh, it was the, like the eleventh or the twelfth. It was the eleventh episode, I think, of Continuum season two. I, I think it might have been the twelfth. 
Yeah, which was, it was awesome. And, you know, it's like really action-packed, you know? And then she also did, she did like three episodes of Primeval New World. Um, as and as they, director or actor? As a director, as a director. Yeah, and they were awesome. Like to the episodes she did were fantastic. So um, so I've kind of like come around now because, you know, uh, you know Summer Glau, as awesome as she is and as, as great as she is in, in genre films, uh, you got to give it to Amanda Tapping with the, uh, you know, the directing skills now. Well, you know, the, the, I guess the thing I don't understand, though, is Summer Glau. It's where is she? I mean, I, I, you know, it's not her fault. I, I, I just don't understand why she's not cast in more things. Yeah. Well, it could be she's, you know, choosy. I, yeah, could be. Yeah. Like she's, you know, just makes enough money that she can live comfortably. And when she's ready, she goes out and gets a job. Yeah. I guess. But she's going to be on Arrow, right? Yes. Yeah, so there you go. And then there's another film that we mentioned, uh, gosh, last summer, I think, in one of our news segments. And I don't remember exactly the name of it, but it's something about these, you know, uh, role-playing people. And it was a film that's been held up for several years. It's been finished for probably three or four years. And that now apparently it's supposed to be close to release. And I'll look that up for next time. All right, you want to head in and do a little bit of Project X and uh, I guess the pun intended this week? (laughs) Absolutely. So for Project X, I am going to talk a little bit about Generation X. So basically, Dave, prepare yourself for some saying. I'm talking about my generation, talking about my generation. All right. Anyway, so Gen X. Now, why, pray tell, you might say, Wayne, are you talking about Generation X? Well, the answer to that is because I think a lot of times opinions on Evil Dead 2 cut along generational lines. So there's – and certainly – of me and my friends uh, when we were young. I didn't go see it when it first it came out in 87. I was like seven, well, probably 16 years old then. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to, to go see it. Uh, and let, you know, of course, I could have snuck in a movie theater, but I didn't. Uh, but after college, certainly, this was like hugely popular movie with us. And uh, I know the sequel, Army of Darkness, uh, was a pretty good uh, moneymaker. That was like a big budget movie, you know, like, way more so than uh evil dead two or one um but i you know i never actually even saw army of darkness i've just seen evil dead two but it's just like one of those movies that uh just kind of seems to speak to uh people of, of gen x so i thought i'd talk a little bit about generation x and so we are supposed to be and here's what i found is you know obviously the the typical the breakdown on generation x when we were teenagers and young adults is that we were kind of like just a bunch of slackers don't really care about the world at large self-centered materialistic just you know all caught up in our atari and uh our duran duran and uh you know not really concerned with the, the rest of the world in fact this is supposed to be materialistic slacker disenfranchised stereotype that they had but apparently a there was a gen generation x report uh published in 2011 and 
it finds that uh, people born between 1961 and 1981 are highly educated, active, balanced, happy, and family-oriented. So it sounds like basically, I guess, that we've grown up a little bit. But uh, um, so just just talking to you like about Evil Dead uh, the other day and everything, it seems like kind of like the that, that I think there's a divide there. You know, like I know. So I don't you know. mean because I'm, I said it may have been the worst film ever made? No. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, so I just yeah, you know, there's something about that. Uh, and then you know we there's uh, we work with uh, this, this girl Kristen and, and she was just like oh Evil Dead too I love this like one of my absolute favorite movies you know I'm like oh yeah so I, th- I think that you know people my age uh, love it and then uh, the rest of the world kind of uh, hates it a little bit. Well, you know I, the thing I did find out though that that I may be in the minority. You know that you, know, you already mentioned it, the movie was made in 1987 or it was released in 1987 on a 3.6 million dollar budget, which even in '87 was pretty small. Uh, and it brought back almost 11 million, so it certainly made a profit. But IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if you don't know Rotten Tomatoes, it's a website that's basically devoted to film reviews, film information, news about films, and it's pretty widely known as a, a repository of of really creditable uh, credible films, uh, film reviews. So. IMDb, which I think most people at this point understand, operates on a 10-point scale, it received a 7.8, which is very high. Yeah. And I was shocked. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, they basically then have two percentage ratings. One is for legitimate film critics, and the other is for just, you know, the, the audience. And the critics gave it a 98%, which is... I don't even remember seeing a film that got one that high and then 86% from the audience. So, you know, I guess I'm certainly in the minority. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But you know, like I said, I mean, I think like, I mean, you're, you're obviously younger than my parents. Uh, so, you know, my parents, whenever I, I would bring home uh, VHS tapes and movies like this, they just like tisk, you know, like, cause they saw it as silly and, and stupid they just you know they completely just like just saw it as as gory and uh small-minded and everything like that and i think um you know the younger generations would look at this and think it's cheesy and the special effects are stupid and you know it's like kids they they you know they they won't even watch black and white films if it's in black and white they they equate that with bad right and and i certainly tried to look at it you know with a you know, with a neutral eye. And, and just what you said, I mean, imagine teenagers today being forced to watch one of the early Monty Python movies. Well, yeah, well, Monty Python might still stand the test of time, but like Casablanca, right? Yeah. Or, or Citizen Kane. Well, Citizen Kane is not really that accessible anyway, but Casablanca, right? It's just a flat out great movie. Um, but like I guarantee you, if you got a room of twenty teenagers together and you put Casablanca and said, "Well, you can leave if you want, or you stay and watch it," uh, I probably imagine most of them would would leave. This, oh, it's in black and white. Forget it. You know, it's 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 a bad movie. It's crap because yeah. it's in black and white. So. And it's just, um, and so you know, like watching it again last time, like, you know, I'm I'm just laughing my ass off. But uh, yeah, but you know, I could see how like you know. Uh, you know, people who are used to like really the awesome special effects of modern movies would look at this and just be like, this sucks, you know, so. but it doesn't suck. I mean, some people say it sucks, but I don't 
think it's I think it's brilliant. So, all right. Well, listen. Let me. Uh, I'll do a little bit of the intro, and then I'll let you kind of guide where this discussion is going to go. So, uh, oh, I was hoping you would do uh, that. All right. All right. We'll all see. Right, so, writer director <laughs> Sam Raimi, uh, who also was executive producer on Xena: Warrior Princess and Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, which were you know pretty high profile series, uh, you know, in the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, is responsible. Uh, Bruce Campbell is the star of the movie, and he plays Ash Williams. And you know what? I didn't realize that Bruce Campbell is is most recently known as uh, Sam Axe in Burn Notice. And I don't know if you watch Burn Notice, but I don't. Uh, you know, it's on uh, USA, I believe USA Network, and it's it's kind of like a spy fi type series. And uh, you know, the idea is that the uh, I guess they're husband and wife. Now I should know that as many episodes as I've seen. But, you know, that that, uh, basically when you receive your burn notice that, that, you know, you're no longer a spy. And if you're no longer a spy, you know too much to be left alive. Bruce Campbell plays their, I guess, you know, their friend. And, you know, so he knows a lot about them. But, you know, he's got a really major role in the show. And burn notice has got about maybe, gosh, I want to say seven or eight seasons. So, you know, he's certainly uh, a working actor. And then he also had recurring roles in Xena and Hercules. Now, the other... You know, Sarah Barry, who played Annie Noby, fairly. Yeah, she looked familiar. Oh, she hasn't been in anything. In fact, really? in fact, you, you try to find a photo of her that's not a still from Evil Dead 2. Huh. It's a challenge. Yeah. I guess she just kind of looked like uh, a typical 80s, you know, heroine. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. You know. Now, th- so because I thought I was like, yeah, she's kind of looks familiar, but then, yeah, okay, guess not then. Yeah. Now, the other uh, actor that, that caught my eye uh, was uh, the actress that played Bobby Joe, Cassie DePava, who is a star in One Life to Live. I mean, she's been in this for, gosh, I, I think I saw it was like 600 episodes or whatever. And so, obviously, with soap operas where they're doing an episode a day, but still, she's certainly gone on to a successful yeah. acting career. Yeah. Yep. Still, still in the biz. You know, but outside of them, pretty much everybody died early or was unrecognizable. So, uh, yeah. Well, Bruce Campbell is like, he, he's like, will give anything he's in, like instant, like indie cred, you know. Um, and even he was in the, because, uh, you know, Sam Raimi obviously did the three Spider Man movies. And uh, Bruce Campbell was in at least two of them uh, in a really, really funny role. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he was uh, in the one he's a uh, he's he's like the usher at, at a theater and Peter Parker shows up late to see Mary Jane performing. And, uh, and and so like Bruce Campbell has like pure like straighten his tie and do all this adjustment. And, you know, he, he goes by and says, oh, you can't come in. <laughs> And then the third one, he's uh, like a, a French waiter who's, uh, you know, trying to deliver, like Peter wants to propose to Mary Jane. He's got, uh, he gives Bruce Campbell the ring. And, and so he's like, when I, like he says, I got this note, this little motion to call Bruce Campbell over. And uh, he ends up getting an argument with Mary Jane. He inadvertently does it. And like, so Bruce Campbell's like starts to go with, and then uh, no, he has to go back. And then, you know, he's got like violence or thing. So. Um, both uh, very, very funny scenes in, in those movies. So. All right. So, so what do we got for a premise here? Uh, the movie starts with this, you know, this little voiceover about, you know, the ancient Book of the Dead that uh, ended up being lost in, I think it said 1200 or 1300. And then, 
Yeah. Oh, actually, can I, can I, I oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dave, no. but I just, because there was something I wanted to talk about with Sam Raimi, because I didn't know this, uh, but you are, I know, a massive baseball fan. So I was wondering if you'd ever seen the, for the love of the game, that movie. I have with Kevin Costner. With Kevin Costner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I was, I couldn't believe that that was a Sam Raimi movie. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I usually associate him with, uh, you know, like, you know, like Evil Dead stuff or, or a Spider-Man action stuff. But yeah, he did that. And, uh. A Simple Plan, too, which I remember seeing that. It was a, I remember it was a really good movie, but I can't remember. I knew it was, like, about, uh, like, a couple that, like, either they're, like, trying to – it's, like, they, it's like money that they, they found, I think, or something like that. But, you know, everything goes wrong. So, um, And then the Oz Great and Powerful, I didn't know, also was a Sam Raimi thing. The, uh, the movie just out a couple months ago with uh, James Franco. Yeah, and then uh, just one thing about Bruce Campbell because my kids will never forgive me if I don't mention how he plays Coach Boomer in Sky High, which I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Disney movie. It's uh, it's like a high school for uh, kids with superpowers. Oh, and uh, and and so this kid plays his. He's got two superhero parents, and and so obviously he's supposed to be amazing, but he's got nothing. You know, like he goes to school, he's, he's, he's not strong. He's not fast. He's, he can't make things move. He can't, you know, multiply himself. Um, so it's actually, actually quite a good movie, but, and, and, and so, uh, Bruce Campbell's like the, uh, like, like, you know, the, the typical gym teacher coach, you know, like, you know, toughen up kids and, you know, here are the exceptional kids. You go over there and, you know, you lot get over there and, uh, you know, and sit in the corner and stuff. So oh, and he's got a perfect look for that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it was a great role for him. So I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I was like, oh my goodness, if I, I let this get away, I'll never be able to shout out those things. Yeah, so, I know yeah. that one. All right. So anyway, so, so the premise now we, we see the, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell, uh, Ash Williams, and his girlfriend are, you know, in a car driving along. And, okay, you know, some of this you're going to have to clear it up for me. So, uh, okay, you know, we, we later learn that, you know, this malevolent spirit was released after the professor's voice on this tape recited the words from the Book of the Dead. Right, which was, I mean, right. even I am, like, thinking, dude, turn off the tape recorder. <laughs> Do you have the tape recorder? <laughs> right. But, but so we find that out later. So what we see in the opening sequence, though, is, uh, you know, this malevolent spirit uh, takes over her. Is that? Yes. Okay. And that then she becomes not really a zombie. Right. But, um, yeah, see, that's what I'm, you know, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. We don't have to put labels on people, uh, you know, whether she's, you know, what kind of monster. I mean, well, she's not this, undead because she was alive. Right. This this issue uh, came up when we um, we, t- we did the uh, the zombie show. Um, and, and I mentioned uh, Evil Dead because there are obviously people who were dead now. Um, their Their bodies come back to life, but it's like... You know, possession, right? It's it's not zombification. It's they, they're not you know you're they're, they're not zombies or they're they're like possessed by some kind of spirit that uh, um, because he kills his girlfriend and then she you know her her you know semi naked body comes back and dances around and yeah I was waiting for the nude you know, scene and what we got was you know that that's the yeah that's that's not the type of nude scene you want no no and, and it's like <laughs> that's that you're looking for and I, and to use a phrase that you've used before that's something I can't unsee right um, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but it's 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 great though it's like hilarious like you know, like the the whole thing it's that's like 
the, the, the whole deal with the movie is it's like purposefully campy. Right. Right. And it's, 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 it's so it's like, it's not, it's not meant to be scary. It's not meant to be gross. It's not meant to be horrific. It's meant to be funny, you know, and his girlfriend coming, rising from the dead and like basically and dancing and flipping her head around and everything. Um, yeah, that's, that was just, that's, that's classic. Right. Now, almost as classic as him running around, you know, the head, the head biting him on the hand and he's, you know, like banging against the wall and everything. Right like. now, but it, it seems to me though, that he's affected, you know, in this opening scene as well. Right, because we yeah. start, you know, but then morning comes, right, and he seems to be fine. So, right, because that's it. The the when the sun comes out, the the spirits have to retreat. You see the the smoke actually retreating uh, as the sun comes out. So basically, basically, if he just waited till morning, he wouldn't have had to cut his girlfriend's head off. Well, I, yeah, that did come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> that if he he could have found some way to just uh, you know strap her down. Of course, he didn't know that at the time, you know. But it does seem like he uh, was a little uh, quick quick on the, the trigger there with uh with killing his girlfriend and it could be uh you know deeper issues at work there okay now you know one thing i did like i've got kind of like a list about you know what i liked about the film and what i didn't and you know i mean i mean i'm a sucker for these you know ancient texts uh we need to decipher them you know that you know you utter certain words and it's going to conjure up this or conjure up that so so i i, I do like that aspect of it you know i like the story arc with the archaeologist father and daughter maybe that's my uh you know link to indiana jones yeah well there, yeah there's definitely uh some indiana jones aspects to it and i you know it was clear obviously made after you know two of the indiana jones movies had already uh been out by this time so you know i th- certainly think sam Raimi was a little nod to there um you know but i think like the the plot and to this is is incidental it's it's sparse it's like bare minimum it's like as as minimal plot as we can get to just basically have you know bruce campbell go crazy let him do what he does best right but but he does i mean you know at the end of the day i mean it is about you know basically putting the genie back in the bottle right Right, right. And I think, uh, again, I, I haven't seen... I was going to watch uh, Army of Darkness last night, but, and, uh, you know, I couldn't find it for free anywhere. Like, like, Netflix is very spotty with what they have, you know? Like, I could get Evil Dead 1, and I could get the two thousand, the 2013 Evil Dead remake. I could watch them on Netflix, but not Evil Dead 2 and not Army of Darkness. Hmm. It's just, I don't know, crazy. So, but I think Army of Darkness has more of a plot where uh he goes back and obviously at the end of evil dead 2 he's back in time and then he uh leads the uh crusaders against the evil spirits to you know right now, to basically can create a time loop that uh, you and michael might uh, be interested in talking yeah, about sometime okay well you know you liberate. you mentioned time loops you know one of the things that uh you know, is said in this that the book, the Book of the Dead, that is, may provide a doorway to another world. So, you know, I did whether a parallel universe, uh, dead and the undead. I mean, not unlike necessarily what we looked at in the others. Sure. Yeah, so, could be. Although they didn't really explore that too much. Now, the one thing that I did like, the conversation he has with himself when he's looking at the mirror. <laughs> and... Uh, as asks him if everything's okay is he fine we just cut up our girlfriend with a chainsaw does that sound yeah. fine 
Yeah. So I, I yeah. you know, there were, you know, uh, there were spots, but yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, you know, like if you really think about like dialogue, like I don't know if I really like kind of like thought about this before, but I, I realized I'm like, we're like 40 minutes into the movie and there's been almost zero dialogue. Yeah. And a little bit between him and his girlfriend. Yeah. And then very little between him and his hand. But until, uh, you know, Jake and Bobby Joe and Annie find him, uh, there's, there's like zero in the way of, of dialogue. Right. But how, but, but, you know, but I'm, I'm right there. I'm, I'm in the movie. I'm loving the movie already. It's halfway done and there hardly a word's been said, but I'm, you know, I totally love it. Now you, you, you mentioned the severed hand. He puts the stack of books on top, you know, right? He, he covers <laughs> up the severed hand with the bucket. Yeah. Did you, did you catch the, uh, the last book? Yes. Farewell to arms. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, Hey, I really liked Bobby Joe, right? The slutty girlfriend on the, you know, of the hillbilly tow truck driver. Yeah, uh, I, I, that, that's the the best that that first. And, and again, here's where Sam Raimi just, you know, mocking out as many genres as he can. So you know, the camera pans to Bobby Joe. She just puts in a big chew and she spits out a big wad. And you know, it's like. It's great, man. You know, it's just like that that stereotype and everything. But, right. Now, uh, one of the things I had on my bad list, which, uh, you know, as we're talking, I'm sort of rethinking because it's just so uh, – and that is the professor's daughter's outfit. I don't know if you remember it. Okay, she's wearing shorts. Yes, right, She right. has knee socks. Right. She's got the sweater tied around her shoulders yeah. and the bandana tied around her neck. And I don't even want to say – Oh, but that's the typical '80s look, because oh my God, God help anybody that would dress like that. But I guess they did. Um, I, I watching it. I, I'm thinking that yeah, that's that's kind of like yeah '80s uh, dress. Um, but also, she, you know, she's trying to look like yeah, you know, like like she's just come from a dig, yeah, right, yeah. And and so I think that's that's part of it as well. But yeah, uh, definitely very very eighties type uh, look here, there. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, how about the chainsaw scene? Right. Yeah. He's got a, he's got you know he's missing a hand now. He's got a you know how do you start a chainsaw when you've only got one hand? Well, you uh, you know you you attach the rip cord to to the, your side someplace where you can just you know yank your hand out and it'll start. Okay. Right. Well, I actually he starts it with his teeth. I think at one point. Yes, I think, yeah, right. And then he comes out with the classic line, who's laughing now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because, yeah, uh, what he has to do it that one time, because he is, uh, he stabbed his own hand uh, with the one, with the, the knife, and then, which is great, because you see, like, the, you know, he's, like, knocked out, like, you know, the, the hand is, like, the, with the dishes. Oh, you know, Dave, the more I think about it, how can you not like this movie, man? That scene is so freaking funny. Like where his hands attacking him and it's like grabbing dishes and hitting him in the head. It's like just that's like old time slapstick right there, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think you have to be just in a certain frame of mind. Let's, <laughs> let's word it well, like that. Well, well, that that could have been part of it too, because that was also uh, the the frame of mind part was uh, was was part of the Evil Dead Two experience from what uh, my friends and I, I remember. Back in the, uh, but again, you know, I mean, to go back, I mean, obviously IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, I mean, they're not the end all be all. But but obviously a lot of people see a lot of good in this film. You know, yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, I mean, when you wanted to watch uh, Shaun of the Dead, um, I, I certainly was skeptical and I was 
I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it was a great film. You know, it, it sort of used the same kinds of techniques, but I guess in a more, I don't know, professional way, in a, in a slicker way, and maybe that had something to do with the budget, but... Well, I, I think I mean, part of the, the charm of, of Evil Dead 2 is that it's purposefully, like, low budget. It, you know, it's purposefully, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, campy, low budget. And, and that's part of its charm, you know, like that's, it's supposed to be like that, right? It's, 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 a, you know, because it's a send up of all those movies, like the, the slasher movies from the eighties, um, you know, in, it, it maintains the same style as those cheap, low budget movies that in the eighties, they were, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when I was a teenager, movies like this were coming out like, you know, like once a week, it seems. Well, you know, like, and, and mentioning that, What's the genesis of Freddy Krueger and, and Jason? See, I, I, I mean, I've seen a couple of them, but I don't really recall uh, why they became the way they became. Uh, okay, Freddy Krueger was the like his mother had been raped by uh, like a a bunch of lunatics or something like that and and so he's like the the spawn of that or something like that and so he could go into people's like he'd haunt people's dreams he'd kill them in in their dreams okay but did he was he burned or something i mean did he yeah well, he had burned like i i never really saw the nightmare on elm street movies uh but uh but yeah his you know his face is all messed up and he's got that sweater and the the fedora and the, the, oh, the claws. i thought those were gen x movies no they are oh, okay. absolutely, but I just first of all, my mom kept a very short leash on me and uh, wouldn't let me be exposed to any of that stuff. Like all these things, I, I had to. It was like once I was in college, and I was free to go and and catch up on all these things. So like I've seen like almost all the I've seen almost all the Halloween movies. I've seen quite a few of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Certainly the the first two uh, Friday the Thirteenth movies, uh, which are really good. Um, but, uh, but I, yeah, I, for some reason, I just never really got into the Nightmare on Elm Street. I think maybe even after, like, I could have gone and seen him, I, I kind of thought that they looked, like, just a little too scary for me, maybe. Okay. I don't know. But, I mean, none of them really focused around the demon resurrection, which is basically no, it, it was dead. always just, like, one bad guy who just, like, couldn't be killed. Like, Jason, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger, those guys, they can't be killed. No matter, you kill them at the end of every movie, they're killed. But then the next movie, they come up with some plot device that 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 they're back, you know, and everything. Like Jason was actually, it's it's funny. This is actually a little bit of trivia here. That um, and the spoiler alert: if you have not seen the first Friday the the thirteenth movie, uh, then just and Dave, I don't know, are, are you worried that I'm gonna spoil this for uh, you? Because it's kind of like the the reveal at the end. No, it's okay. Is that um, you know, Jason isn't the killer in the first movie at all. It's his mother. Oh. Jason was a kid who had died at uh, at this camp, right? It was like a summer camp. Uh, Jason was swimming and he drowned because his counselors were having like, sex, probably. Yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> I, th I think it, it was they were having sex, and so the camp gets closed down for a couple of years, and now the camp is being opened back up, and um, and of course, you know, the counselors start having sex and drinking, and doing drugs, and they're they're all being killed. And, and it's revealed that it's Jace's mother is doing the killing. And so finally they kill her at the end of the movie. And there's like the one girl left and she's the last scene is she's in a, um, 
in a canoe out in the middle of the lake because that's how I guess she got away from her mother. I can't, the details are a little sketchy, but she, somehow her escape was affected by getting a canoe and getting out in the middle of the lake. So she she wakes up, and, and as she's waking up, like Jason comes out of the water, like his, what looking as you'd expect the body look that's been in the water for quite a few years and everything. And then that's like the end, bam, like the movie cuts out then. Okay, so it scares the hell out of me when I was a kid. Like, yeah, this this is where we I, we had to actually sneak away to uh, to um, one of my friend's houses to watch uh, Betamax uh, versions of these horror movies. Oh, now I actually did see, and I don't know whether it's referred to as Jason X or Jason Ten. Yeah, I don't know. Probably Jason Ten. I don't know. There's there's a million of those. But by the thirteenth, you may ask, why did I watch that recently? Why why did you watch that one, Dave? Because Lexa Doig ah. is one of the stars in it. So, gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. It, yeah. I saw Lexa Doig was in uh, Primeval New World. Really? She was in at, at least one, if not a co- Yeah. She played a doctor. Oh, that's a big that's surprise. A, yeah. Right. <laughs> a, I mean, literally, that's about the seventh or eighth doctor that she's played. Yeah. Hell, she might as well be the next doctor. Ooh, that is oh. an interesting idea. You heard it. Well, I mean, you heard it here first. Clearly not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Little, little too, uh, too female and too not British, right? True, but she is Canadian. So, all right. But anyway, you know the whole uh, demon, demon resurrection thing. I guess is a lot different than than you know a lot of the uh, the these other slasher films. So that was, that was pretty cool. And I think part of it is that how like all these slasher films go to pretty much great lengths of establishing the backstory. Michael Myers, right, was a, a little kid who who killed his his whole family. A ten year old kid comes home and kills his family, um, and then is sent away to a mental institution. He then escapes and comes back to do it with his sister, Jamie Lee Curtis, right. actually. Um, so there's always they, they, these movies always kind of made the the killer's background like a a big part of it, as if that's like. You know, so the, like the rationale for why the the killer is a killer and everything like that. Uh, evil Dead Two doesn't. There's no rationale. Like it's just these evil spirits. They and now they want to eat souls. They want to eat people or something like that. Uh, and the more you think about, it, you're like, well, why don't you just go? Like, yeah, you know, like, like for example, um, why did they have to play the tape again for the the, the souls to be released? Right? right. Because the professor had already done so. Right. Well, so, there was another incantation that i guess had to right, be but why is it needed? i mean if he already released the evil spirits they're released he didn't put them back because he didn't have the pages of the book to do that right but his, right? his daughter has the pages right right but that's what i'm saying like like the minute they got the cabin the evil spirits should have been there that they this the incantation had already been said the evil spirits were released mm-hmm. and hadn't been put back right well right and uh, the other thing that was different in so many of these archaeologist movies there's the archaeologist that just becomes so greedy. I mean, that's what we like about Indiana Jones. That's not him. Right. You know, he's in it for the the history and and the study. But there's always somebody that just wants the whether it's the Ark of the Covenant or you know the crystal skull or whatever. And here, I mean, he's really, I, I think, just the pure scientist. He's translating right. the text and he makes the mistake of you know speaking it aloud and then playing the tape. I guess. Yes. Which again, like obviously, is pretty stupid. Like, why would you do that? Right? Why on earth would you actually say the incantation if you've clearly you've read it and you can translate? It, you know, it's going to release an evil spirit. So, um, 
Which you just go ahead and do it anyway, all in the name of science, right? Um, but but that, that's the whole point. Is it's the, the the plot is just like just sit back, relax, and enjoy it. You know, don't think too much about it because there's there's holes that are a mile wide in this movie. And I think that's part of it. Like they made it like to purposefully have these huge because it's supposed to be like the best bad movie you've ever seen. Okay. Now, did you see the first Evil Dead? No. Okay, I I haven't either. And have you seen the 2013 reboot? Nope. I've only okay. seen Evil Dead too, um, but uh, but like the first one and the reboot are both available on Netflix. So I'll probably go and check those out. All right, but uh, no. all right. Anything else? Anything else? Um, yeah. yeah. Hold all on. Right. Let's see. Let's hear it. Um, so I just made a list of kind of like my, my personal highlights from the movie. And the first and foremost, obviously is the scene with his hand that, I mean, that is just, that is classic. That is like a, yeah, I got to admit that was, that was yeah, great. That's that a classic scene. The hand beating him up, knocking him out, the hand dragging him along the floor and about to grab the cleaver to, uh, you know, we assume to, to do him in finally. And then him stabbing the hand and then cutting it off. And then the hand coming back at the end to, to kill Annie. Right. Yeah, like that's just just classic. Um, okay, this this is a very actually famous scene because it's really like this is Sam Raimi uh, directing genius. But the so the spirit is is chasing Ash right, and Ash is running away from the spirit, and the spirit. Uh, you know, so you got this long tracking shot with the camera right, and the the spirit goes through the car. Uh, do you remember that? When there was like a, an abandoned car. The, the, oh, I'm sorry, the Oldsmobile there the, that, that actually ends up going back. Well, it goes in through the back windshield, and as it comes out the front, you hear the sound of breaking glass. Oh. You know? Like, so it's, it's like the camera actually break. I and mean, obviously the camera didn't break it, but, you know, it's like, it was, it was like a little joke. Um, Reference back to Citizen Kane, because there's a famous scene in Citizen Kane. Do you know about this with the, the, the overhead shot where the, in the beginning, the the camera is coming in through a skylight in the top of the house. No, I mean I've seen the movie several times, but not, no, I don't remember. Like that. The, the first shot in Citizen Kane, there's a, it's a crane shot, right? And the the camera, it's again another track shot coming in from the top of this house down into a room in the house through a skylight, right? Okay. At the end of the scene, the camera comes back out, and when it gets outside the skylight, it's broken. The skylight's like the, broken. There's a hole in the skylight, uh, yeah. okay. Like the camera broke it going through, right? Okay. So that's like the same thing here. So, okay, so that's the first part. That was really clever. And then, so, uh, you know, Ash is like dodging, right? The spirit. It's, it's like a spirit. It's like dodging around corners and everything. And it loses him. It lo- he, he, he shook the spirit by, by climbing into the basement. It was like, that is classic, man. Like this, like that, that's just hilarious you know that the spirit is chasing and 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 he actually is able to elude it um so i don't know okay um let's see the uh uh henrietta the 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 mother in the basement um when she she, she, uh, the possession and with the the neck i don't remember that the long like the super long neck and the the head the, the the mother that was the 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 Annie's mother. Oh, right, right. There right. in the basement. And then you know, her neck gets like super long and everything. That's actually uh, Ted Raimi was playing that part. Uh, Sam Raimi's brother uh, was playing the, the part of the possessed Henrietta. Uh, so, so that was great. Um, 
We talked about the the decapitated corpse dancing around. Now you're going to get to uh, the one scene that that I forgot to mention. That that if you're going to mention it, you go ahead. The scene at the end when he straps on the chainsaw to his bad arm with the uh, with duct tape. With, yeah, with duct tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so you're right. He's got you know he's missing the hand. He straps that chainsaw to his bad arm, saws off a shotgun with the chainsaw. Right. And then throws the shotgun you know behind his back like you know yes. like you've seen in you know, countless movies right, right. like this. Uh, and then what does he utter? Groovy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's classic for sure. Yeah. Oh, the, the eyeball popping out and landing in Billy Joe's mouth. Oh. Like you care for the eyeball. It's he's like, ah, and you just mop because it, and I think she swallows it too, which is like kind of gross. Um, you know, when, uh, when Jake is killed, like the bloodbath, like the, just the, the blood like just spraying out yeah from, right yeah you're right it like, was coming through like the gunshot holes in the wall right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And, and it's just like you're just like uh, you know like again it's not graphic it's not gross or or, or slasherish. it's it's funny you know it's just like so overdone like you just like i'm I just laughing at like you know right and there was another it, it was a different color right was it uh uh when they i think that when they kill henrietta that the the it's like green, right? Because she was already dead or whatever. Yeah, or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why, but it's it's. Uh, but again, it's like it's just getting all over, you know, and everything. But it's it's way more funny than gross, you know. Let's see. I think that that might be some. Yeah, I think I think that's it. I think we've we in somewhere or another mentioned all the other, um, you know, of, of the the highlights. Of the, I think what a lot of people like their you know their main criticism of the movie is that which would is that it's like too clever too tongue-in-cheek you know that they don't appreciate like the the satire is a little you know high-handed it's, it's definitely not subtle you know um so you know that certainly i've heard that that said and you know we mentioned how like today's audience would we would probably not tolerate you know kids they probably wouldn't tolerate the the, the special effects or, or, or lack thereof you know i mean the special effects all through the movie but they're they're you know like they're they're cheesy and they're um you know like 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 jason the argonauts right what was that guy's name the uh henryhausen right like they're like kind of like henryhausen like characters and stuff that like but so i just want uh one more quote here okay and i'll give you a chance once more to say you like the movie dave okay you want to say it no Okay, um, so this is a quote by Roger Ebert, right? He says, but look a little closer and you'll realize that the movie is a fairly sophisticated satire. Level one viewers will say it's in bad taste. That's you. Level two folks like myself and me will perceive that it is about bad taste. So, oh, sorry, Dave. Okay. I gave you a chance. I gave you a chance to come up to level and, two. Well, you're, you're right. And now, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I don't know that I would say it's in bad taste. I guess, I guess to be, you know, to be honest, it's just... I didn't think it was funny, um, and I mean, I I get that it's campy. Um, you know, I guess for me, there just weren't enough scenes early on that kind of you know grabbed me from that you know. Yeah, and and, I, and, I, I, and certainly they did occur later on. You know, again, like the scene. You know, it's like I call it the Rambo scene where he's you know strapping the chainsaw on and the shotgun and all that, but. Uh, you know, I mean, it's certainly an important film in, in the historical perspective for slasher films and, and modern day horror films, so or contemporary horror films. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I think because you know, like Shaun of the Dead is possible because of Evil Dead too. You sure. Know? 
like movies like Shaun of the Dead are, are certainly derive from that. Um, I, for, I forgot to mention the scene where he like uh, falls down the stairs into the basement as well. Because like Bruce Campbell is like awesome with like physical uh, slapstick humor, especially like he's just a great physical actor. And uh, um, that that scene where he falls down the stairs is great and everything. But uh, um, but yeah, I, I think you you certainly have a valid point about like the exposition here, right? That it, it takes a while for this movie to really kind of get going. And like you say, well, the spirit, like the first thing it does is it attacks his girlfriend, but it's like, yeah, but you know, like the, it really kind of kicks in, you know, once, uh, you know, the the rest of them. Uh, well, I guess really when the the hand attacks him, that's kind of where it all kicks in because as soon as after. He quote unquote resolves the hand issue. Uh, you know, is when uh, Billy Joe and, and Jake and, and Annie show up and everything. Right. I mean, even early on when he cuts his girlfriend's head off, and then the, right. you know her head and her body, you know, reunite and uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's just great. Like he's like he's he's her her hand is bite or her her head bites him and won't let go of his hand. He's like smashed against the wall and he has to put in a vice to get it and everything. And then, uh, and then finally has to, you know, uh, I th- the chainsaw, right? It was the chainsaw yeah. like to, to her head and everything. Uh, it's just, this is classic, man. His hand once after he cuts it off, gets caught in the, the mouse trap. You know, like that's just, that's, that's just gold, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but yeah, like I said, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's probably not for everyone, but, uh, you know, I, I is a personal uh, recommendation right. and, for me. You know, Though Dave will, will say that's an hour and a half of, of his life gone. Right? Yeah, eighty four minutes. But uh, <laughs> see, it was but, not, but that's not bad. No, it's, it's not, not bad. bad. Eighty four minutes. Yeah, that's 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 just that's that's just barely a little bit more than two episodes of uh, of continuum. Yeah, absolutely. Wait a minute. Did you just? You did. Right. All right. Um, well, I just said continue because that's like you know. Uh, should I have said Lost Girl? I should have said Lost Girl, shouldn't I? Um, no. That's barely two episodes. That's just over two episodes of Lost Girl. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so anyway. All right. So we just get so far from talking about Lost Girl. Like I think of other shows. Before. I don't even. I don't think we'd go to Lost Girl first for a a, a handoff comment like that. So. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, next on the agenda will be our review of Sleepy Hollows series premiere which comes up monday the 16th of september so um you can drop us a line at fatalist podcast at gmail.com or check out the website fatalist.podbean.com where you can leave us a voicemail uh we're on facebook and twitter and as most of the listeners continue to do access us through itunes so until next time (laughs) who's laughing now (laughs) 